Hi everyone, my name is Haley. And this is Laura. And welcome to The Body Pod. Welcome everyone. We are so excited. We have today a special guest, one of my favorites, Dr. Bill Campbell on to talk about all things fitness and nutrition. So welcome, Bill. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So I actually got to meet, I just have to say this. I say this every time on my Instagram lives, but I got to meet Bill in person in October. And when I was telling Laura and kind of explaining, she knew who you were from watching my Instagram lives and everything. But I always say, Bill is the nicest person on planet earth. I mean, your wife scored because you are the nicest human and you're just so sweet and smart, but like, Mm, I just love having you on. So it was such a pleasure to meet you in person. Now I'm excited to meet you in person because I have heard a lot about you. Wow. Well, this is going better than I thought so far. Well, we're going to get right to these questions because there is so much to cover. Today, I actually want to start by asking you about your research review that just came out. So the two studies that were covered, I think will be perfect to talk about today. I finished it well, the day you sent it out, so a few days ago. But it is so fascinating what the studies have shown. With just taking a little turn, let's first talk about the body weight versus the dumbbell free weight study. And if you can just explain it to us, and then we can kind of talk about, you can explain the results and and we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. Yeah. So, and I, and I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, but if you have it in front of you, great. But I, the, the, the general study design was a university study, uh, not in the United States. I forget which country it was, but what they did was over two years, they took a weight training class and these, these students in this university weight training class, the first year they said, Hey, we're only, we're going to have the entire class do their resistance training with, only their body weight and and then some resistance bands for like three of the exercises. So literally no dumbbells, no barbells, no machines, just them, a chair and an elastic, you know, one of those elastic resistance bands. And I think they use that for shoulders for one of the leg exercises. Um, and some of the exercises are like body weight squats, lunges, Um, using the elastic band for an overhead shoulder press, dips against the chair. So just think of the most basic movements that you could do in your home with literally no equipment other than one band and a chair. Yeah. Not even a pull-up bar. So a lot of people, you know, will use pull-up bars. So they, they did, they used that as one group. And then the next year they had it all new students in the class and they said, okay, we're going to have you do resistance training with a typical program. So uh, leg press, um, curls, leg curls, shoulder press, rows. So what you would typically see in just a standard resistance training program. Mm -hmm. And what they wanted to compare was the, amongst other things, um, but the main thing that I was focused on was muscle mass. Can you build muscle mass? And the answer to the study was, and this this isn't surprising because we know this from other research, but all of the subjects were able to gain muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And not surprisingly, the group that had actual dumbbells, resistance training machines, they gained considerably more muscle mass 
than yeah. the group that didn't have any of that stuff. But what may be surprising, maybe not, the the group that worked out in their homes that did the home-based program, they did gain significant amounts of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So the the notion if we get stuck for some reason, like a pandemic would happen to, to come upon us, we don't have to just completely give up on all of our resistance training. There are things we can do in our home. Now, mm-hmm. to be fair, we have to appreciate these were in beginners. So these, these, these people didn't have resistance training experience. Yeah. And what I like about that is if you're, if you're dealing with somebody who's completely new to fitness and let's just say they're shy or they're hesitant to go to a, 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 um, a fitness gym, these, they can make progress at least early on Mm-hmm. Just doing some of these basic body weight movements. Again, dips, body weight squats, lunges, things of that nature. Will you gain as much muscle as as using weights? No. And the reason is at some point, your body is not enough of a resistance mm-hmm. to impart the stimulus to continue to build muscle. Initially, it is to build some muscle. I would think that these people would probably plateau fairly quickly. But I would also suggest we can do a lot um, in maintaining our muscles if we're, again, if we're in that situation. So that was, that was the, the, what I call the home-based resistance training program. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I actually just did an Instagram live two days ago with um, Stacy Sims and we brought this up and we were talking about it because, you know, the females and the age group that we're working with there's still a lot of pushback for women to go to the gym. Either it might not be, you know, sometimes it's location. It's not close by their house. They don't have the time to get there or, you know, they, they yeah, they feel, they don't feel comfortable. I mean, that's probably the biggest one or they just don't know what to do. So all of my program, well, not all of them, but a lot of the programs that I have have to just be at home because Otherwise, they're, you know, they can't participate. So there is a place for it, 100%. Uh, but I tell them, I'm like, you, you do have a runway. Y- if you're new to it, you will get a stimulus and you'll have a runway, but it will run out. And then, you know, you have to add something like TRX can further that runway a little bit um, with some other basic equipment, but eventually you're going to run out. The gym just has so much variety that you can use, you know, especially again, since I only work with females, there's a lot of mobility issues as we age and, you know, different injuries that a gym allows. There's such variety in equipment that they can still get a good stimulus. But I did love that it shows that you absolutely can build muscle more so if you're a newbie. Yeah. So now we have evidence. So nobody, I mean, a lot of people I think would question that, like you can't even build muscle or can you? And like, well, actually you can, here's the research that, that does this. And you make a good point with like TRX. And I don't know if, if you're known as a TRX person, but that, I always think of you as like, cause I think that's where I first <laughs> yeah. saw you during the pandemic. You were the one, like <laughs> you were like way ahead of the curve here because you were already doing the the home-based workouts. And I bought a TRX for, I, bought, I treated myself for Christmas. I haven't used it yet, but I, but I bought it and, and hopefully <laughs> we'll use it soon. But yeah. that's, you, you make the great point there. That would be a great transition. Once you start to plateau just with your body weight, something like TRX now increases the resistance 
and it's so, you know, it's, it's just so mobile. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and take it anywhere. yes, yeah. Take it anywhere. Um, decrease, you know, increasing some of your body weight with some of the movements you can do, depending where you put your feet or your arms, et cetera. So there's even a, a, a transition from just pure body weight to TRX to our traditional movements and, and external resistance. Yeah. I mean, it's I think that's the, encouraging information. Yeah. It's it's people that haven't trained. Yep. If you just have a little bit of equipment, you can do a lot, but you know, even without a TRX, how, how do people pull at their house? That's the hardest part is if you don't have a pull up bar, you cannot vertically pull or horizontally pull with anything unless you're like under a table. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's what everybody, that's what I would do. And that gets, that's always like, is this table going to fall over or. Yeah, that would not be, that would not be good news. Um, Let's move on to the second one. So the second one, the intermittent fasting plus time restricted eating, and then compared if that had more weight loss and was a better form of weight loss or maybe a new a new weight loss strategy opposed to just a normal calorie deficit, a normal diet. Can you first explain the difference between time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting? Because they get lumped together and they get kind of confusing for people, but there's a very distinct difference. Yeah. So let's look at intermittent fasting first. In its purest definition, Intermittent fasting implies alternate day fasting. And when I, when I say fasting, I mean literally fasting other than, you know, water. So no calories. So you eat, typically people would eat normally Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, but Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, zero calories. So that would be the, again, the, what I would call the foundational or the, the purest definition of intermittent fasting as described by alternate day fasting. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about intermittent fasting, use that as our as our base definition. And then we start to have s- some, like say hybrid days where, well, I really don't wanna go all day without eating anything. So what it's kind of morphed into is modified alternate day fasting where people may have, let's say, 500 calories per day on these modified fasting days. Typically, they're not. Uh, there's more than one per week, and typically, they're they're like not not in consecutive days. So again, two to three days per week, maybe 500 calories per day, and the other days just eating what you would normally eat, or ideally at your maintenance calories if the goal is to lose body fat. So there's intermittent fasting. Think of it as some days where you eat normal and some days you eat nothing or very, very low amounts of calories. And that is between days. Now let's move to the concept of time-restricted feeding. This is more of a focus of what happens within the day. So what do you do during the day on Monday, during the day on Tuesday? And all this is is just happening is, is defining a, an eating window and a fasting window. Hence the term time-restricted eating or time-restricted feeding. The most common application of time-restricted feeding is people will have about an eight-hour window, most often 12 noon to 8 p.m. They're allowed to eat whatever they want, and then they don't eat anything 
before noon, and they don't eat anything after 8 p.m. And previous research reports that this is effective for weight loss, Mm -hmm. not because there's anything magical about this feeding window, but because people tend to eat less calories than what they're burning. So without them really purposefully dieting, by just focusing on limiting the feeding window, they actually do end up dieting. So that's what previous research suggested. So this study, I really liked it because it was the first study that I'm aware of that combined the paradigm of intermittent fasting. So some days eating a lot more calories, some days eating less. And it added in this time-restricted feeding component, which was within the day, mm-hmm. what, 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 what would be the limits of, of the, um, the eating windows. So what they did in this study, they compared this intermittent fasting plus time-restricted feeding, so that strategy, and I can get, I can give more details. They compared that to just a normal diet. And the normal diet was every day of the week for you know all seven days, reduce your calories by 30% per day. So that's very close to what we do in my lab when we, when we do weight loss or fat loss studies. Yep. So it was an average of a 30% caloric deficit per day. The other group did a 70% caloric deficit or yes. So they were only eating 30% of their normal food intake three days out of the week. And when you do the average, it, it was the same thing. It was an average over seven days as a 30% caloric deficit. The other thing that they did was on these days when they had these very, very low calories, they only were allowed to eat between the between 8 a.m. and 12 noon. So there's the time-restricted feeding component. And the, the main research question was, at least for me, so the researchers, mm-hmm. they're not always so hyper-focused on body fat. But my main focus was, okay, what, the, what happened to body weight, really body fat? And also the researchers looked at meta, some metabolic health um, variables, which I also covered because the research that I'm aware of up to this point when there is a benefit with time-restricted feeding and intermittent fasting, it tends to be metabolic health mm-hmm. and it's it, it does not offer any fat loss benefits. I mean, when calories are controlled. So yeah. we'll start there. So should I get into the results? Well, first, let me just say this. Do you, have you ever done, I'm sure you have, because you've done every diet probably. <laughs> Yeah, I experiment a lot with with a lot of different things. Have you done like uh, something like that? Well, at least the intermittent fasting, alternate day fasting. No, um, I've not embraced. Or embrace is probably the wrong word. I haven't experimented much. the The thought of not eating anything, and I've done that. I think twice in my life, where I've gone twenty four hours without eating any food. That was just more as a, of a mental um, challenge more than anything. So I, I don't have experience doing that. And and the reason is that the thought of that really scares me because I'm, I've- A foodie. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a foodie, <laughs> a large appetite. Um, it's funny. I'm hearing a lot about with, with the, you know, with Ozempic and, and these anti-obesity drugs, this new, this term I'm hearing a lot is food noise. Everybody's got food. Well, I have food noise because I think yeah. about food all the time. <laughs> It's the best part. Anytime I go on, oh, I'm already planning out all of my, I'm going to Australia next week and New Zealand. And I'm already planning out like all of my meals. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best part. 
<laughs> hey, you going to see the great Tony when you're there? Yeah. So I'm um, going to spend a few days in New Zealand and meet Stacy in person and then head over to do a lot of filming with Tony for some upcoming projects. So, Oh, yeah. awesome. Well, tell, tell Stacy I said hi and Tony if you if you would when you're when you're traveling. Yes, oh, I will for sure. Um, okay, so I mean, I just it's curious to me because for intermittent fasting, time restricted eating works really well for at least my population for females, but the intermittent fasting is just really hard for females, especially postmenopausal, to hang on to muscle. And I guess that's probably in that that's in your uh, results of what happened. So I, I'm curious because I read it and I have a little bit of notes, but I'll let you explain it about yes. the results of that. Um, and let me also say, I do almost daily follow a form of time-restricted feeding. Me so too. I, I typically don't eat before 11 sometimes 12. And why do I do that? Well, I do that because I've learned I'm not that hungry in the mornings and being, having this food noise <laughs> that everybody's <laughs> talking about, I just know that I need to, and some people hate this term, but I like to bank my calories. So if I know I'm going to be hungrier later in the day and I'm not hungry in the morning, it makes sense to me. Let's go ahead and, and feed my I'll eat when I'm hungry and uh -huh. I won't eat when I'm not hungry. So that's how that helps me control my body fat level. So there's my motivation. Yeah. Am I leaving a little, if I'm trying to get every gram of muscle mass possible, is that the ideal plan? And I don't think it is the ideal plan because we have other research that suggests um, if you don't evenly space out your protein, you can't, you don't optimize your muscle mass gains from resistance training. But again, i you pick and choose. I'm not going to be on, on a bodybuilding stage anytime soon, but I also don't want to gain fat. So I'm, I'm, I'm making decisions to prevent additional fat gain. And I'm knowingly saying, okay, maybe I don't maximize my muscle mass with, with this decision. So the, in this study, the two main outcomes were, I'll just you say fat loss, even though they focused on body weight, fat, uh, fat loss and the metabolic health outcome. And what they reported was similar to the previous research, there was no benefit to intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding for body fat loss. Both groups lost an approximately the same amount of body fat. The, the benefits did show up with a few markers of um, glucose metabolism. So I think they looked at five different markers mm -hmm. and two of the five were significantly improved with the time-restricted feeding and intermittent fasting group. So for people who, and again, I think you and me are in this, are both in this camp for, I don't know what your reasons are for, for time-restricted um, feeding, but this is, there's a lot, and a lot of this research is also in rodent models, which I do not like to rely on, but we have also multiple studies in humans Mm -hmm. saying that there are there are metabolic health benefits to this approach whether it be time restricted feeding or intermittent fasting both this study just happened to combine them and found the same thing so what do we do with this if this diet works for you in terms of your body composition then you 
go for it. It's There is no harm. There's no advantage and no harm with your body fat levels. Now, earlier I said for myself, it's possible that you are not maximizing your muscle mass. Now, that leads me to the latest, another study that I am reviewing for the February issue. And you probably heard of at least people talking about this. This large 100 gram protein feeding. That was my next question. (laughs) Yes. So that data kind of influences my thinking on were the prior harms with muscle mass, can they be alleviated with a large bolus feeding the night before, maybe early morning? So yeah, um, that that is unknown, but I feel like things have, have changed. And I would also say, and, and, and when you read next month's issue, that study shouldn't have surprised a lot of people. It's just that everybody's been focused on incorrect interpretations of the data. And this study was the first one to really highlight it, in in my opinion. But I go through, I'm telling you, if you want a, um, a well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that with my subscribers too. I'm going to give a, a, I go deep on protein metabolism. So I'm, I'm loving the, I like what I did this month, but that study is really cool and I'm excited about the protein metabolism research that just Oh, I'm out. signed up for the live. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes. On Thursday. It's on next Thursday, right? Um, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm signed up whenever it is. Awesome. Well, okay. So can we just scale back a little bit? When, so both groups lost the same regardless of what they were doing. Same body fat. But yep. that comes from just being in a calorie deficit. It does not yep. come from a specific eating, uh, either intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, or a normal calorie deficit. I think, well, I like the time-restricted eating. Mine is a little bit different. So I eat early and then I stop eating at 6 p.m. when I have my dinner, which is hard for Americans because everyone eats so late. Mm-hmm a lot of people and on weekends it's you're the not fun one that's like um can we get at the Jerry Seinfeld hour at 5 p.m reservation 4 45 <laughs> so you're not the most fun at a party but um it's a little bit easier to die you know you're not digesting food to go to sleep and then you can sleep better and all of that so I like the time restricted eating when it's earlier and then cut off later but again it's it's nice to have options for clients because sometimes if someone has a lot of weight to lose, at least when I work with them, I'm just like, well, what what can we do? You have a lot of, of body fat, but you also carry a lot of muscle mass when, you ha- when you're heavier. So it's interesting to, you know, give them something without overwhelming them. And sometimes that's easier to just be like, this is your feeding window instead of being like, okay, well, here's your macros try to hit this for each meal. And, you know, it's, it's very over, it can be very overwhelming for a lot of people. And the, the thing I like about the time restricted feeding um, paradigm is people will follow that. And, and you, you were just implying this people will, will follow that and they end up reducing their calories, but they don't really even appreciate or know that they're reducing their calories. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of people, myself included, as soon as I know I'm in a diet, well, now I'm hungry just because even if oh, nothing's yeah. changed. The cravings start just yes. getting Yeah, nothing's changed except for I've been told myself I'm in a diet. And that's, that's likely true for other people. I'm not an exercise psychologist, but I appreciate, yeah, just, just limit your, your feeding window 
and you naturally decrease your calories and lose body fat. And what that's an that is a great feature of that type of dieting plan for for some people. Mm-hmm. Laura, I think that's why so many people have success on it is because it's easy to follow and it doesn't feel like a diet and stressful. Yep. So yep. do you do the same thing or do you? you I don't- do the same thing. I'm more like. I'm in the middle of both of you. I like to eat early too, if I can, but I don't really get hungry until around 11 either. Um, but I do drink coffee in the morning. Do you? No, I'm not. a. I don't drink coffee. Oh my gosh. You're like my husband. There's only <laughs> There's two, of us two in the world. <laughs> yes. You drink diet Dr. Pepper. Yes. Yes. I drink diet Dr. Pepper, but I don't drink that until... Later yeah, on. 11 or 12, you know, yeah. 11 or 12. So yeah, I don't, I don't need anything to, to wake me up, so to speak. Yeah. You're yeah. just excited about life. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm with you guys. That's where I feel like I thrive also. Do you, Laura, what question did you have? You had a good question about the, something about people losing weight or not. Oh losing. yeah. What would be your top reason or reasons for someone who says they're tracking calories, but still not losing weight. Uh, okay. So I would say there's likely two, there's two things that we would put on the table. So one would be your, your, your body is adapting. So a lot of people will call that metabolic adaptation. So you're tracking everything. I trust you and you're not losing weight your body has just ad- adjusted to these lower calories so that what used to be a caloric deficit is no longer a caloric deficit. That's one option. So do we need to make changes based on your body adapting to your diet? And that's much more likely to happen if they've been dieting a long time and if they've been dieting aggressively for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. The other c- consideration is, well, you say you're tracking, but you're not tracking everything or your, your tracking is severely flawed. The research, the existing research would suggest that one of those is almost always the culprit and it's the one that nobody wants to admit. And that is you're just <laughs> not tracking or adhering. And, and here's something too. Some people track during the week, but maybe not the weekend. And so, yeah. So I, I, I came up with a, what I called a, an energy balance audit where we, we take that first thing off the table. So we actually, we, we, we look that in the eye and we say, hey, before I ask you to go spend a ton of money and time testing your metabolism, getting blood work, seeing your physician, before we do that, let's let's make sure that what you're saying you're eating is actually what you're eating. Yeah. And what that can look like is uh, on a most basic level, you're going to send me a picture of everything that goes into your body, everything except for water oh, and yeah. the number of calories that you are attaching to to that. And then I can say, you know, as an example that I always use, somebody would send me a, a piece of lasagna that they had for, for dinner and yep, it was 240 calories and you, you, yeah, you, you do the, you do the math and it's like, that was 840 calories. Yes. 
So there's that. Or an, another level is for one month, we're going to we're going to do a meal prep service so that everything that goes into your mouth is we're going to order it in and you just scan that. And oh. yeah. And again, that, that can be more expensive for some people, but a lot of people spend a lot of money going out to eat. Mm-hmm. And what you do is you you make sure that when you're ordering this, you make sure that they're in a calo- a true caloric deficit. So that they would likely lose weight, and of course, they they almost always would when if this is the only thing they're eating. Um, and then the last thing would probably is um, a lot. A lot of people just they, they drink a lot more. And I'm, I'm a I don't drink, so this 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 isn't obvious to me. But a lot of coaches that I talk to, um, and it seems like I don't want to be you know trashing on the women, but a lot of it seems like a lot of women drink little wine at night and and they're just not fully appreciating all of those calories. So the research would say you're not tracking right, or you're, you're not tracking everything that's going into your body. If we are, if we've done our tests and we know that's the case, then we would say, okay, your body has adjusted. Let's adjust your calories or increase exercise. If you still want to lose body weight as, as a, as one option, or there's a medical problem. Do you, let's get your thyroid tested. Are you, you, do you have hyperthyroid, whatever. So we could also have a medical um, investigation into is everything seemingly fine here. And lastly, if a female is going through menopause, um, that as I'm learning and I'm, I am trying to learn as much as I can, there are things that don't make sense that make sense for every other human in any other age uh, range that aren't making sense during that time. Yeah, it's a really hard conversation to have, Bill, and I have to do it every fat loss group that Tony and I run. Yes, yeah, so what do you what do you what do you say or do? I I have to just be like very kindly and gently be like, well, tracking is a skill and most people including myself do not nail it. I always tell my my groups at the very end I'm like I give myself probably a C anytime I do a fat loss phase, because it is freaking hard to be in a deficit all the time. And Tony explained something. There's like a hand mouth gap um, where people like don't even realize that they're like, you know, feeding their kids and grab a few crackers. And it it's subconscious. Like they don't even remember that they had that. They remember the big food, but that's why I like the picture, taking a picture of everything. I know that's brilliant. So that you can like, track it that way. It's just, it's usually, I would say eight out of 10 times, it's people aren't tracking well because it's, it's hard. Or you get like a food that has nine, 19 different things in it. And then they're like, I don't even know. This is so overwhelming. I don't even know what to put in my fitness pal for this. And, you know, it's a plug for the meal, meal prep. I mean, I make all of my clients have to learn to track for at least a few weeks because once they track, I mean, they're like, Haley, I was eating a thousand <laughs> calories more than I should have. And I'm like, mm-hmm. they're yeah, like, I, no idea. <laughs> I had it's- pizza last night, but it was homemade. I'm like, did you driv- drizzle some olive oil on the crust? <laughs> well, yeah. I'm like, did you count for that? <laughs> no. There's no it's calories in there. <laughs> Yeah. And the nice thing about having people track, it's an education that, that kind of lasts for a lifetime. Once you do it for a few months, you, you know, you you remember things for the rest of your life. 
I agree. Yeah. And I love that you, when, when you're not dieting, that you say, don't you love cold cereal? Like, are you a cereal eater? Or what did you say that was like, I don't know, there was some kind of junk food that I was like, oh, I love that too. Oh, cinnamon toast crunch. Yes. That- <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, um, let me say, I can't, that, that is like, that is evil to me because I eat three or four bowls and it's like I had nothing. Now I ate a lot yeah. of that. I don't know if I told you, and I, I haven't really discussed it yet, but I, I went on a very high carbohydrate diet for almost all of last year, like eight yeah. or nine months um, to essentially prove that you can lose weight eating very high, highly processed carbs. So yeah, I ate a lot of cinnamon toast crunch cereal. Were you hungry? Yeah. Were you hungry because your calories were taken up by processed foods that aren't going to fill you up? Yeah. So it, it's the worst way to diet. And it's I would never it, um, instruct anybody to diet like this. But for some reason, when when I'm dieting, I'm... I, I'm kind of robotic. And again, I, I'm not saying I struggle when I'm not diet. Like I, dieting to me is easy. I don't know if it's a skill. I'm your typical. I have a hard time maintaining my weight once I lose body fat. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't struggle with hunger more than any other time, which again, most people would, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the worst, the worst kinds of, I mean, I would have chocolate, some, you know, chocolate chip cookies. Uh, I mean, I have, uh, and we're, I'm going to publish this, or I hope to publish this as a case study. And we're, we're going to publish everything I ate for like the eight months. So every, it will be obvious. And it was a really high, wasn't just high carbs. It was the kind of carbs that people say you cannot lose weight eating these types of foods. And, and clearly that's, that's, if that's true, then. I just disproved it with one case study because I, I did. Can't I can't wait for this. I should have sent you the batch and box cookies then. <laughs> well, we, when 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 was was that was that after October? I can't remember, but man, I would have been sending you something every month to fuel your carbohydrate. <laughs> the fact that you could eat all the carbs. I mean, that's the yep. best part. Was it hard when you stopped doing it and going back to normal? Did you get headaches from all of a sudden cutting out sugar and carbs or did you, or did you just feel back to normal or? No, I, I, I remember like just, I hadn't had much. That's a, I mean, we also have to appreciate that's a very low protein diet, which yeah, I have exactly. never done in my, in my adult life. I've always eaten pretty high protein. Um, so that was the biggest adjustment. That was like, I was craving protein bars. Like I, I haven't had a protein bar in months. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was one thing. Um, started grilling chicken again. I don't remember. And I don't want to give people the 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 impression that I'm uh, uh, all vegetables and all lean meats all the time. I will typically, like I'll have pizza pretty much every Sunday. I go out to eat with my family Saturday night. And I don't really, um, I don't. Yeah. Care what I, you know, chicken tenders, yeah. what, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it, th- did I ever eat like that? No. And I was getting, I mean, I started to, and again, I, I'm doing this for science, but I'm like, man, this isn't good for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I had those thoughts. There was nobody happier when it was over, but I, I can't say that it, it was less. Um, it was more just, I'm glad that that's, that it's over. 
Yeah. My wife was really glad it was over because I didn't eat the same foods as what she would make for our family. Right. And I would, she's making wow. whatever she makes and I'm, I'm eating cinnamon toast crunch for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, I don't know if you can say this because you're, you're, you haven't published the study on yourself, but I'm curious if you lost muscle mass given the, the low protein over that period of time. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't actually, I don't, no, because uh, what we did was a nine-site B-mode ultrasound. So I had my colleague who has the, the, the you know, other than an MRI, the best equipment to, to test that. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't get that data back um, yet. So that would that's the best test we did on my muscle mass. Um, I also did DEXA, BOD pod, um, in-body BIA. So I... Um, um, ultrasound. So I did a bunch of body composition tests. In yeah. general, um, no, I I don't think so. Officially, I don't know because I didn't. I haven't gotten back the best data. But from the body composition data, like the two compartment models, DEXA, BOD pod, etc., I don't think I did. And my protein was, a, you know, a little less than 100 grams per day. When typically I would be eating you know, 160 to 220 grams per day, some, somewhere in there. Now, yeah. there is a theory on why I maintain muscle mass, and I, I will write this in the discussion. Actually, we already did, we already wrote the introduction before I started the study. But insulin, when um, insulin is, is pretty anti-catabolic. So if you have high insulin levels, that protects muscle, that, that lowers rates of muscle protein breakdown. So if I didn't lose muscle mass, well, why didn't I? Well, two reasons. One, I didn't change my resistance training at all. So that stayed the same throughout. And, and I actually set myself up for this case study six months prior to starting it. So my exercise was the same six, you know, six months before I started this diet all the way through. So were my calories. Um, so was my protein low because I didn't, I didn't want to just start the diet with high protein and then all of a sudden low protein. No, I, the only thing that changed was the calories. I was eating high carbs to maintain and my weight was 231 was my highest weight. And that's, I mean, that's by far the heaviest I've ever been. In fact, when I saw you in October, I wasn't too far removed. Oh no, that was at my low point. Yeah. So that, that was, I was I, like, I, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was like 205 there because that was at the end of the end of this dieting, but I was up to 231. Um, and I, I'll say this too, this was crazy. I also did blood work and at baseline. So like the, the, the day before the week before I started this, my testosterone, my total testosterone levels were low, almost like schoolgirl level low. And I was like, wow, like that, I, I've, my testosterone's always you know, high, high normal, um, yeah. my, you know, in the middle, but the high end of the middle. And like the clinical threshold for being low was 264, mine was 267. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. this isn't good. Yeah. At the end of my diet, it went back to normal. So there's more evidence. We have a very, very, some people would call it a, a health crisis with males and low testosterone, the research on it's scary. But in my case, and a lot of other research suggests, it's because we have excess fat or excess adiposity that's causing this. And in my case, it was true. It's the only change I made. Yeah. Wow. 
men have it so much easier. <laughs> Just going to say that. Oh, the female research, I mean, especially in the, the menopause category, which there isn't a lot of, but hopefully that is, oh, I know yeah. that's changing. But man, it's um, it's a different game for the, the us older ladies. <laughs> oh, I know. And again, I'm I'm starting to go into that to that universe. And what I'm learning, it's and and large large part of my interest was my wife's experience. She's now postmenopausal, but it's men would never get treated by healthcare professionals like women do. Like it's. And I, I'm starting to hear these stories. It's, um, and I, I guess I'm glad I'm a man, so I get, I guess I get better care. But it's like, oh yeah, you're just a, an aging woman. That's that's how it is. I don't think men would ever get that answer. Yeah. Um, no. So either. yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's, and I have so much to learn. And you're right. Um, I've always said the fitness profession they just ignore that. Like it's just ignored. I don't know why. And there is research. It's just that nobody cares. Nobody talks about it. I mean, Stacy's yeah. one of the few. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm loving it. I've got a, a grad student that also that, that's been speaking to Stacy. So we're, we're actually going to, we're doing a few studies on women. Um, like one of them is uh, what I want to do is have a f- just a case series study, get um, case series means like six, eight, 10 women uh-huh. Two women do a rapid fat loss study, like very severe pre-menopause. So early 40s, mid 40s, no signs of menopause. Two yeah. women do the same thing that are in menopause, currently going through it. And then two to four women that are clearly post-menopause, half that are on HRT and half that aren't. And just look at, is the body able to lose fat with this aggressive fat loss approach and what effects does HRT have? What effect does not being, you know, that being premenopausal? So that's going to be a, um, that's a study we're, we're hoping to do this, this year. And um, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so yeah. excited. I have plenty of women that will sign right up in all of those <laughs> different categories. categories. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. Cause that, again, that's, that's, you're, we're going to learn quickly with a study that's that aggressive. Now, granted, it's only going to be a handful of women, but we'll do blood yeah. work. We'll, we'll do hydration testing, uh, all of it. And it might be, and it may be virtual. So if it's virtual, I just have to confirm that they have X, Y, or Z tests yeah. that, 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 that everybody has access to where they don't have to come to my lab to do the assessments. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a, it's a, a billion dollar market for everyone that, that focuses on, you know, women in this age group. And so there's so much misinformation and women are desperate. So they're just like, what do I do? What do I buy? I'm, I'm tired of not getting any results. So more research will be so great. I have a question for you about what do you think as far as in body, body pod, you know, we know the DEXA is like the gold standard, hydrostatic underwater weighing, where would you rank like next to a DEXA, what's best? And then what is the least accurate, would you say? So let's assume that DEXA is the most accurate. Although I will say in my case study, it was not the, it was, oh. it was one of the worst, which is surprising. Wow. Um, 
But typically, yeah, DEXA is probably the gold standard. Now, I also want to say this because most people don't know this. If you get a DEXA and you get any other test, bod pod, ultrasound, in body, the DEXA will put you four, five, six percent higher than any other device. Yes, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, um, all yeah, true, almost across the almost across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so DEXA, I really like the in body because um, it's it's for myself and when we when we've used it in my research and compared it to DEXA, it's it it tracks very closely. Um, same thing with bod pod. So all of them and even skin folds or ultrasound, as long as the technician is trained mm-hmm. that, that that can be, and it's even, I would say it's the best if you have a trained person, because you're getting regional changes in body fat. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say about in bodies or, um, BIA biological impedance technology in general, if you're very obese or if you're really lean, the error starts to get, uh, mm. they become more and more inaccurate, the leaner and the fatter one gets. So yeah. just uh, something to appreciate with them. And let me say this, um, also in my case study, I tested four home scales um, and I, you know, I said, okay, which one of these is better? And I, and I found one that I think I can recommend. I just, I got to run some, f- some more um, analyses on it. But the thing that you want when you're choosing a body composition thing is make sure you use the same device all the the, the same device all the time. So if you're, if you're going out and getting a DEXA, use that same DEXA and ideally the same technician that's analyzing it for you. Don't get a DEXA one time and a bod pod the next and skin folds the next time. It's you'll the data will be all over the place. So use the same thing. And ultimately what you really care about, whatever device you're using, is it able to detect changes in fat losses over time if you're dieting? A lot of these home scales that use BIA technology cannot do that. They're mm-hmm. great at body weight, but I had very little confidence in in many of them where I would never even, you know, that's why I don't use it in research. Yeah. Um, but again, I've tested four of them compared it to the highest um, threshold other than, you know, killing the person and literally dissecting their fat and weighing it. Uh, Nobody wants to sign up for that study. No, nobody's signing up for that one. Yeah. So I do, again, some of these home-based scales, some of the ones I tested, I think at least the ones that I had are better than anything I've seen before. Mm -hmm. Do you think though that with the in-body, you have to have like the same hydration levels kind of going in because there's so much variable with the water content. Yeah. So the, the way that that works and you're exactly right, it's that machine is designed to measure your body water. That is what it's doing. In fact, it's, it's, it's putting an electrical current through your body that you don't feel and how fast or how slow that current goes through your body is dependent on how much fat tissue you have. Fat doesn't have much water, so it it slows that current down. Muscle has a lot of water, 70% by volume, so it goes through faster. So that machine is the most sensitive to water. But because it also measures your body water, even if you are dehydrated or hydrated, you are able to make um, um, adjustments on on your body composition. So 
It is the most sensitive, yes. But I, I, in my opinion, you'd have to be pretty dehydrated um, or overly hydrated for it to make a, a large impact, which again, let me say, whenever you get body fat testing, always do it in the same condition. Like yeah. get up, go to the bathroom and then go do your test and, and wear minimal clothes. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Um, in our research studies, we, we don't allow people to work out the day prior just in case there's water retention from that. Mm-hmm. Well, I did. I do the uh, hydrostatic underwater weighing because mm-hmm. uh, that's what's close by me other than an in-body. Uh, Dexas are hard to find in the U.S. where I feel like I did one in like a, I don't know, like a trailer home, like... <laughs> was like 17 and yeah. I walked out and I was like okay I kind of hover around 16% body fat give or take and it was like she came back she's like okay so your body fat's 26% and I was like wow how did it go up <laughs> how did it go up 10 no. I was like I'm ripping this one up I'm not keeping that yeah let's keep finding one that well, gives us the lowest yeah I'm like I'm going with the other one but the underwater wing to your point I went in because I was doing this I always do like a science experiment with my fat loss course too. And so this time I was like, all right, I did a a bike ride that morning. That was like two hours climb up the mountain. And then I didn't have time to really eat. So I went in and it said that over six weeks I had lost like three pounds of muscle and like, I don't know, five, five total pounds. I mean, it was terrible. Yeah. Not, not valid. Yeah. And so she's like, Haley, I was like, well, I can't put this in my group. She's like, well, are you dehydrated? I'm like, well, yes, I've never weighed this on the scale ever. She's like, go to Noodles and Company. And I went and had a mass, you know how they have those big Rice Krispies. If you've ever eaten there, they have the big Rice Krispies and a big bowl of pasta. And then I went back and all my muscle had come back up. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I mean, so things like that. Yeah. It's good to go in with the exact same situation, um, especially when you're doing a short period of time, because, you know, you don't have that much that you're going to be losing, hopefully. No. And even if you did lose a little, the machines aren't sensitive enough. So it's, I, I explain it like this, like, would you use a calendar to, to time somebody running a hundred meters? You can't like the calendar just gives you days. Like, I, I, I don't know how long it, you know, and some of these body composition devices, if you're trying to get tested every week, they're not sensitive enough. Just like a calendar is not sensitive enough. You need a stopwatch yeah. to, to measure somebody running a hundred meters, body composition devices, any of them, they're not sensitive. They'll give you a number, which is what confuses people. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, that number is an estimate and it's not sent you. If you lost a little bit or you gained a little bit, it's not sensitive enough to detect that change. So I would say never get a body composition test before four weeks of an intervention. Uh Um, Now, if you're really aggressive, you're really doing low, low calories. Yeah. Two weeks. That's, that's probably enough if you've gotten changes, but a lot of people just, they don't appreciate, they, they think that the number on the machine is, it's truth because it's a technology and you plug it in and it's yeah. got fancy, fancy buttons. And it's, well, it's, it's unfortunately, it, it doesn't work like that. It, it does give you a number. Um, and let me, let, I use this example. If I had you test your heart rate right now, what would it be? Let's just say it would be 58 beats per minute. And then 
a minute later, you test it again and it's what, 64 or 50, 54. Well, did you go out running or did you rest? No. So why is there variability in your heart rate of all things? Well, there is. Just like there's variability when you step on a body composition machine, there's variability in the exact foot placement or where are you at on that DEXA table both times. The machines had variability in and of itself. So there's variability in everything. Yeah. I did the in-body in California and here, and I did it in the morning around the same time, exactly what you said, didn't have anything before. And I felt like it tracked really, really well for me. And I always, yeah. I never did it sooner than 30 days. I think that's the soonest I ever did it mm -hmm. apart from each other. But I had a lot of success with that. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, I actually bought a second one for, for my research lab. Um, and why do I like it? Well, because I know that it tracks well with all of our other measures, whether it be ultrasound, um, bod pod, we actually, we have a bod pod now as well, um, DEXA. So to me, because it tracks so well with other machines, um, that's good. And the, the main thing is it's so non-invasive. I don't, you know, you don't have to dunk yourself underwater a couple of times or be in a bathing suit. Just yeah. get in a sports brawl in shorts and jump on the thing. And in 90 seconds, you're done. So it's so, it's so convenient. It feels so good though. You get in this hot tub. It's like a warm bath. <laughs> Just is a lot of work. Like, though. Do I have to get out yet? Let's do one more dunk. <laughs> I'm not ready to get out yet. Well, typically, I used to do them in grad school. We would have them go under like six or eight times. Like how many times would you would you oh, go I under? I would do at least four or five because I try to squeak out any. I'm like, okay, let's see if I can get any more. So it becomes, but then by like the fifth time, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to pass out. <laughs> yeah, it's such, a, such an uncomfortable feeling with no air in your lungs. Like it's yeah. not enjoyable. No, it's not. So Bill, I kind of did, uh, I, I didn't do a great introduction to you, to all of the podcast listeners that I feel like everyone just knows you, but assuming they don't, and this is their first intro to you, can you wrap up kind of just say like, what do you do? You talked about your lab, but exactly what that is. And then, you know, the research review that kind of we reviewed and what that looks like. Sure. So I'm a professor of exercise science at the University of South Florida. I direct a research lab called the Performance and Physique Enhancement Laboratory, where we essentially, we focus on fat loss. And I like to also have an emphasis on muscle. So maintaining muscle when dieting. And the, the type of people that I help the most are the, the people that they're serious about their nutrition and fitness, but they're not elite athletes. They're not bodybuilders stepping on stage. So I like to say that my research helps people optimize their physiques within a maintainable lifestyle. So that's what my research focuses. And separate from that, I, um, I created a research review. It's called Body by Science. And essentially, for a lot of fitness professionals, you, they don't have the time to read research to share it with their all of their clients. So I do the hard work of reading the research and then I summarize it pretty efficiently. Every article is solely focused on fat loss or muscle gain. 
And then the most valuable aspect of what I do is I bring in fitness professionals. So Haley, you, I, I, um, you were one of the few people I've actually had twice. So I, I summarize the research, I interpret the research, and then I bring in expert coaches and I say, how would you apply this research to your clients? Mm-hmm. Because you, the, the fitness professionals are the one that are dealing with this with all of their clientele. I don't have clients, but I can help with the, you know, the, the research analysis. So the research plus the application is is what I think is provides the 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 service the the best service to the subscribers of that. Yes, and anyone can can get. It. I know I have a lot of clients that are not trainers um, that have subscribed, and it's what seven ninety nine. What's the price yeah. of? No. $7.99 on a monthly subscription. If you pay for the year, it's you basically it's you get like a month free. And what I've been doing is having live sessions every month. That's also that. part of that um, that that um, $7.99 where I, you know, we talk about the, the anti-obesity medications, Ozempic Wegovy. This month I'm gonna talk about muscle protein synthesis and protein metabolism. So that gives me an opportunity to to actually talk to the to my to the people that attend the live sessions as well. Oh yes, it's so Amazing. it's fire. We're going to call it fire. So <laughs> I'm so glad that there are people like you because this is why I partnered with Tony. I'm so glad he's like nerd of all nerds. You read the research at 4 a.m. and then bring it to our group and just give me a like a cliff notes version of what it is. Because I don't have time. No, um, and, it, and if you did have time, some of the research—it's hard to re- like that that ah. protein study that we were talking about. Good luck trying to understand. I've read that thing four or five times. It is a dense research study. It's and again, I my dissertation was in protein. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad you do it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Bless you. Well, Bill. We hope to have you on again. I know that your time is super valuable. So as always, I'm so, so grateful that you agreed to do this. Uh, my audience loves you. And I know all of the Body Pod listeners will love you as well. So thank you so much for joining. And yeah, hopefully we, we get to see you again. Yeah, thank you for having me on again. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and sharing the body pod with your friends. Until next time.